Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's Around the House. Well, earlier in this hour, we were sure talking about, uh, you know, healthy air in your home. And now we're talking about having those inspections done correctly. And that is an inspector that is really making sure that, uh, well, the home that you're purchasing, building or whatever has been done correctly. Now, if you're having a house built or even having things remodeled, I like to have certain stages that make sense to me. Like as a minimum, I would like to see an inspector come by and check out rough framing for you. And if you really want to found somebody good, if they want to pop in right before the concrete pour for the foundation or slab on grade, that would be amazing. Because so many times I have seen concrete pours that the builder got really, really lazy. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to the Around the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to find out more about us here, head to aroundthehouseonline.com and you can message me over there. Or you can find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of the above right there. Well, today I wanted to talk about making your air quality better in the winter months. You know, inside air quality, when we're stuck inside, the weather's bad is a really important thing. So let's talk about this a little bit today. Now, one of the things first that I wanna talk about is indoor air quality testing. And it doesn't matter if you've got a new house or an old house, that's really where you kind of start. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. There's companies that you can hire to come in, you can get a hold of my friend Carolyn Blazowski's uh, company, and she can, of course, send out an air testing kit to you. And these are all things that you can do. And I'll put down a, on the, in the notes down there where you can find her website to get that air quality test. And this is really where you want to start, trying to figure out what's with your air. Is it good? Is it bad? How is it? Now, they do make a lot of different sensors that you could put in that'll give you real time, that'll give you some information. And that's kind of key is to figure out what you've got going on, because there's a lot of things that can be going on in your air. Now, in your home, if you've got an older house, those houses were kind of designed to breathe and you didn't have as active of ventilation systems. Nowadays, when we build a brand new house that is airtight, we've got to have different things like uh, ERV systems, which are energy recovery ventilators where you're bringing in uh, outside unconditioned air, conditioning it and putting it inside so you have fresh air. So that's key. And so one of the things when you do an air test that I like to see is for you to run the test inside and outside. So sometimes your air quality can be worse outside if you're next to a, a freeway or next to a, a something that has lower air quality, or you've just got a, a swamp or something like that where you've got lots of mold and, and mildew and and things like that, sometimes the air quality can be worse outside than you have inside. So then maybe ventilating and bringing in air from outside isn't great without some kind of filtration system. 
But really, the things that you're looking for are like VOCs, and VOCs are volatile organic compounds. Those can be found in anything from paints to your, um, well, those little handy uh, wipes that you buy in the round tubs that uh, we use so much for cleaning up uh, around the house. Those things there typically give off a ton of VOCs. And, uh, you know, when we were talking to Caroline a few years ago, she was saying that she could just about count how many are in a house by the air quality test of what's given off there. But really, you can have dirt, you know, dust floating around. You can have pet hair and dander. You can have carbon dioxide or worse, carbon monoxide. You can have other toxins like mold. Uh, You can have other things coming off that are off-gassing, formaldehydes, those kind of things. And so these are things... Not alone. I mean, you also got cooking too. So you could have, um, you know, all the chemicals that are coming off of the food you're cooking. And yes, when you cook, that does give off chemicals, carbon dioxide and uh, carbon monoxide if you're not careful. So these are things that we want to really pay attention to when we're cooking. Now, these are all different things that you can do and manage, you know. And so that's what I really wanted to talk about today. For instance, here, when we're talking VOCs, and this is something I have to give Caroline a lot of credit for, I learned a lot from her on this subject, but here's the thing. When you have VOCs, that can be from a lot of different things. That can be maybe the air freshener that you have plugged in. And I'm not a fan of the indoor plug-in air fresheners that give off the oils and stuff. You think about it, that's almost like vaping. You know, you're putting out this colored oil out there for you to breathe. Not a fan. You're better to get the house clean and use something more natural. But really, VOCs are going to come from, could be that, it could be the chemicals, it could be the cleaners, it could be a lot of different things. It could be the paints that you're using, it could be a remodeling project. And one of the things that I learned from her as well is that, uh, this is a key right here, if you're storing in your basement or your garage that's attached to the house, if you're storing all your chemicals, like your lawn and garden chemicals, all your paints, all your stains, all that stuff. When that stuff off gases, it is putting it up into the air and that will make it inside the house, especially if it's in a basement or things like that. So these are things you want really want to be careful with because that can really hurt your indoor air quality. Something to think about. But really when it comes down to it, you've got a couple of things. One, if you want to get particles out of the air, you really need to have some kind of filtration. Now, this can be tough if you've got, you know, heat that's a radiator or you've got uh, baseboard heat, you know, coming up with a way to filter air can be hard. And there's ways you can do this that's fairly inexpensive. I mean, I have gotten a box fan and a one inch pleated, like a Merv, you know, eight, 10 filter, the good, good air filter in the one inch. And you can install it to the side of the fan, turn the fan on low or medium and put it in a room and you can get a lot of particulate matter out of the air that way on a budget. All you have to do is buy a box fan and put a filter up on the side of it. Make sure, of course, that you buy a decent fan. You don't want to overheat it because you've got a filter medium there and don't always run it on a high, put it on a medium. So you get that thing, not at its full capacity, but really moving the air through that, it's going to help. That's a great way to get some of the dust out of there without having to put in any kind of an air scrubber. Now, I don't like the you know, sharper image used to make these units you could put in and they were a hydrostatic thing. Not a fan of those. They never worked. Uh, I threw a mine away that I had that I had uh, uh, 
sitting around. I think they were given to me if I remember right, but we got rid of those things. But those are things that you can do. Now, carbon dioxide and other toxins and mold, first off, I want to make sure they're doing a couple things. One with mold, I want to make sure that you are watching your indoor air quality in that you're checking to see what your humidity is. And we've talked about this in the past, control and humidity, but I really want to make sure that you're not over 60% anywhere in the house. So yeah, take a humidity sensor, go around, do your stuff, measure the basement, measure the crawl space, measure the bathroom, measure the kitchen, measure the bedrooms, take a look and see what you've got going on. If you're over 60%, then you need to figure out a way to dehumidify that. I'm not a fan of the portable ones that you come around have to empty. I'm a very big fan of putting ones in in a place that it needs to be or making sure that you've got ventilation enough to get that humidity out. One of the biggest places that you're going to see that is your bathroom, and that's where that vent fan needs to come in. But that vent fan is going to be key because a lot of times if you've got that older builder basic vent fan that's putting out you know 40 CFM, for instance, and that's cubic feet per minute, that's really got to run a long time to get that out of there. I like putting in, you know, higher quality ones that have maybe 100, 120 CFM. So that way you're moving a lot more air and you're getting it out there faster. So in a bathroom, upgrade that fan, make sure it vents all the way to the outside. If you're venting into the attic space, that's going to grow mold and that's going to be a expensive cleanup process there. So don't do that. But really make sure that that's running at least 20 minutes after you take a shower or a bath, anything like that to get that humidity out of the room. And that's why building code generally requires you have a timer there so you can do that. So making sure you have that. If you're cooking on the stove, make sure that that range hood is, if the stove is on, the range hood should be on. And then let it run for a minute or two afterwards. You know, if you see particulates, if you're cooking meat or something like that, where you've got a lot of smoke, again, these are things that you want to do. Now, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about ventilation and some of the tricks with this. Because you can get this right or you can get this wrong, and it can be expensive, and I don't want you to have to waste money. We'll talk about that just as soon as we're around the house. What's up? This is Sticks at Inya. And Satchel from Steel Panther. And you are listening to Around the House with Eric G. Yeah. We love Eric G and you should too. Welcome back to the Around the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us today. We've been talking everything about indoor air quality today, and hopefully this will help you manage things around your house and keep it nice and clean and breathing easier. So we've been talking about, in the last segment, we were talking about what causes, you know, low indoor air quality. And we were talking about all the different things you can do. Now, ventilation is one of the things that are good because you you can take that air and send it outside. It doesn't matter if it's a bathroom fan, if it's a kitchen range hood, or um, even a, a whole whole house fan, which you don't see as much of anymore. But really, that's where that comes from. And, and if you have you know, a heating and cooling system like a HVAC system where you've got central air and heat, 
or a heat pump, it's a lot easier to manage this because you've got ducting to every room in the house and generally you've got a way to easily filter it. Now, one of the things that I want to bring up because it's very important is that I want to make sure that when you have ventilation and things that are moving air outside the house, now keep in mind your dryer, if it's just a regular dryer, is putting hundreds of CFM out the house when it's running. You've got a range hood that is anywhere from 200 CFM for a cheap one to 1200 CFM for a big one. And CFM is cubic feet per minute. And so you envision one of those is like a basketball. That's always my thing to use. But if you're taking, let's say you got somebody who's took a shower and somebody's cooking breakfast. So you got a shower going, maybe that's 75 CFM or a great fan, but still that's rated at the fan. So it still has to go out. So let's say it's a really good fan at 75. You've got a thousand CFM and a range hood and then a dryer going all of a sudden you've got, you know, let's say 1200 CFM or more, 1200 cubic feet per minute leaving the house. So what do you do on the inside? You've created a vacuum. Now, if you've got a really tight house that was built recently, the problem now is that you're creating a vacuum and it's going to find the path of least resistance. That can be where your gas water heater is venting outside and all of a sudden you're pulling the carbon monoxide in backwards or from your you know, you're pulling it back in from your, um, maybe your gas furnace. So if you've got gas appliances, really be careful with that. Or you're just pulling in air. So the answer to that, you don't want to be pulling around windows and doors and air leaks in the house. So really the, the answer to that is having makeup air. And that is meant for if you have a, you know, HVAC system. So you've got that ducted system where you hook in a sensor that either senses that vacuum or triggers when the vent fans turn on. So what that does is that basically says, hey, we need to bring in fresh air. So it'll turn the fan on the system and then it opens up and brings in air to be conditioned into your system. So it'll go through, run it through your furnace, basically, or your air conditioner, and then out to the rest of the house, replacing that air. So it's something to really think about is you don't want to create that vacuum and that can be a problem. But you really want to have ventilation because that ventilation is key. Now, I also recommend uh, ventilation in the garage. If you have a insulated attached garage with an insulated door, make sure you have it in there because if that's all sealed up and you park a wet car in there, you can have mold issues. So make sure that you've got fresh air or at least something exhausting that moist air out of there. Now, depending on your location, you might need a humidifier or dehumidifier in the house depending on what it's like. Many times if you're in the very cold, you need a humidifier because the air is so dry because it's so cold inside the house, you'll get down into that 20% humidity and it's uncomfortable. You'll have static electricity, you'll have dry hands, you'll have, um, you know, it's hard on the fixtures and stuff inside. Anything wood dries out, it's just not great. Or if you've got humidity where it's wet, it's moist, you could have high humidity issues which then will create mold, and that's over 60% relative humidity. So these are things that we need to manage in this indoor air quality because mold is something that I think should be very commonly tested around our house. And that's something that I think we should talk about here because you want to make sure that you're testing for that. Mold will show up in air quality testing. It could be you've got a shower leaking. It could be that you have a roof leak that's coming to a place that you haven't caught yet. It could be um, in an attic or crawl space. 
It could be anywhere. So that is where you need to bring in the professionals to figure out where that mold is coming from. And that's why you want to start with this baseline. Now, sometimes if you've got an air leak and you've got mold outside because you're next to a, a marshy, swampy, you know, uh, water area, then you could be testing mold to go, oh my gosh, I've got mold spores here. It's coming from someplace. And it's just coming from air leaks because it's coming from outside. So you want to make sure and test that. But really trying to dive this in and figure out what's in your air is key. And that way you've got it under control because I tell you what, mold can show up from a shower leak to a, um, a I've seen uh, vent fans that had uninsulated duct and that was condensing and causing mold in the roof of the bathroom. You know, so it doesn't take much. You could have a steam shower where it's condensing in the shower and you're not running the, the, the fan long enough. And of course, you've got lots of issues there. So these are all things that I want you to take into account because this mold can be a big deal. And I have found, um, and I don't do this every day, and I have found a ton of mold issues, especially in newer homes uh, where they built them tighter, they didn't ventilate well, and people were not monitoring humidity. And homes with basements are especially troublesome because you can have a bare concrete wall in a basement and water just seeping through that in the water vapor. And then if you stack up a bunch of cold boxes or totes, all of a sudden you've got mold growing on the wall. You've got it growing on the, the, you know, on the concrete. You've got it growing on the boxes. These are all things that can happen. So lots of different places for that to grow. You know, now if you've got anything from allergies to asthma to things like that, I think working on trying to get your indoor air quality is a really smart idea for having a healthier air because there are so many pollutants inside our house, the better, the more you can do with that. I mean, it's shocking. We've got dogs and I have a uh, robotic, uh, LG robotic vacuum that I run almost every single day in the house and it fills it up with pet hair. Now it doesn't get all of it because pet hair ends up getting around everywhere, especially when you have airflow. So it'll come under the under things. So things that I want you to do if you have pets, make sure that, um, you know, it's handy if your air intake for your furnace is up high, make sure you've got that cleaned up. But really, you know, monthly moving furniture, like couches and beds, if you, especially if you've got hardwoods, if you've got, um, you know, carpets, carpets are great as being a filter medium of tracking indoor pollutants. Uh, carpet is just one of those things that uh, it can track so much dirt. It can track so much dust and dander and pet hair and, and human, I mean, skin that gets shedded off. That's another one. And so these are things to uh, having a really good vacuum and having them professionally cleaned every few years are things that are really good. Um, with carpets, I don't recommend ever cleaning with the, uh, you know, run up to your home rental store and get something. Those just don't do a good enough job. You want something that's truck mounted and have a company come in and do it. That way you get something quality. Now, when you come back, we're going to talk more about indoor air quality just as soon as Around the House returns. This is Ron Keel, the Metal Cowboy from Keel, the Ron Keel Band and Steeler. We are rocking around the house with Eric G. Raise your fist. Welcome back to the Around the House Show. This is where we help get the most out of your home through information and education. We've been talking 
indoor air quality and the things that you can do to make sure that, well, you've got the healthiest air possible, especially in the wintertime when many of us are spending all that extra time indoors. Now, let's talk a little bit here about some of the things that maybe you don't want to do inside your house. Now, one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make is, and now all of these things can be remedied, but you just have to invest in the money to deal with it. Basement wood shops or workshops are a really tough situation because you're creating sawdust. If you're going to be building stuff, you're going to be painting, sanding, you are creating a heck of a mess. And by doing that, you are putting that particulate matter in the house and that is going to really throw off your indoor air quality. So if you have no other option than to have a basement workshop, then maybe what you need to do is close that area off so the air is not, you know, as best as you can. Don't keep that air in the basement from going upstairs. That's where you need to have dust collection. You're going to have to have an intake air. You're going to need to have that conditioned space. I want to keep that as separate as possible so that air is not swapping upstairs because when you're working with wood, some woods are poisonous. Some woods can be irritants and there's a lot of different issues going on there. Plus, if you're staining, finishing, gluing, whatever, you can have other issues. So I want to make sure that that air is not going upstairs. So really, I want to make sure that I've got a, a vapor barrier to keep that air from going upstairs. I want to make sure that I keep the sawdust downstairs with a workshop that you're building things out of wood. That's really what I want to make sure that you're doing because all of those things are not really great for indoor air quality. So when in doubt, put it in an outside building. But if you're doing it downstairs, there are ways of doing it. But I tell you what, it's a big project. So just make sure you're planning that out correctly. Now, here's another one that I've seen people trying to do now that can be troublesome as well. And this, this, why this goes bad is, is the homes that I've had to go in and repair where people are renting out homes to people. Maybe it's a two-story house and all of a sudden the basement turned into some local pot grow operation. And the problem is, is the humidity that was given off from that was so bad that we ended up having to basically gut the house to the studs and treat it like it was just a mold house. So you will have things like particle boards swelling up. If you've got thermofoil cabinets, thermofoil means that they're a plastic wrapped cabinet door that was done in the 90s and 2000s. Those will swell up. And uh, I have seen particle board countertops swell up in these homes, everything else. And so do not build a basement greenhouse without a significant dehumidification system. And then you're just better doing one outside or putting it, if you're going to do it in there, they make um, inflatable ones, things like that, where the moisture won't get out. Your job is to keep the moisture in a space that is not just the entire basement because you want to keep that humidity down. That way you're not getting that mold issue. So and if you're doing sprays and things like that, it just it, it's going to go sideways on you. So please don't do a basement greenhouse. And for the same reason, um, you know, hot tubs or pools or things like that, those need to be designed out by an engineer to make sure that you have, if you're putting a hot tub in the basement, that you have adequate ventilation, that you're not creating a mold problem down there. Because I guarantee you, you will, unless you deal with it. So in that situation, what I'd like for you to do if hey, I'm going to put a, a pool in the basement, I'm going to put a, a, a hot tub in the basement, whatever. Maybe you're in a climate where that makes sense. This is where you bring in the engineer to engineer a ventilation system 
that's going to work, that's going to dehumidify, and it's going to control that so you don't have a mold issue down there. So those are all keys that I want you to think about in this process. When in doubt, try not to be doing those things inside the house because that will really do a lot of damage that are hard to recover from. So please spend a little time on that and you'll be a-okay. Now, one of the other things I want to talk about here is that, you know, you can jump on Amazon and buy really inexpensive vacuums. And investing in a good HEPA-rated vacuum is key. Because if you're vacuuming up pet hair or you've got lots of carpets, you want to have something that's going to really work well and pull as much dirt, dander, hair, whatever, out of that carpet. So these are things that I really want you to think about, about getting a good system. You know, there's some nice, um, if you're building a new house, I've seen people put in the um, automatic systems where you've got the whole house ventilation system for the for the vacuum. So you've got a built-in vacuum system where you got the ports in the walls, that kind of system. Those can be great because it puts the, the the situation out in the garage out there where the where the bag and stuff is. But uh, I really like bag systems better. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a good Dyson vacuum. But to me, I really like a good vacuum bag with a HEPA filtration system in it. It's going to work so much better. And it's really going to filter out the dust. So when you capture the dust in it, it's going to stay in there versus kicking a little bit out. So those are all things to consider when looking at vacuums. But vacuums are an important part of this whole entire system and making sure that you've got things clean. All right, everybody, that's enough about indoor air quality for today. The rest of this, I wanted to talk about building codes, building permits, building inspections, whether remodeling or you're having a new house built, and especially if you're having a new house built, because let's talk about it here in the United States. Building code and generally, it is stricter than what is in Canada from what I've seen. And uh, please feel to, free to send me more information if you uh, think of the contrary, because I'm not operating up in Canada every day. But uh, usually, we have stricter code here in many instances than in Canada. Of course, there's got to be some exceptions, but generally, that's the case. But here's the problem that I have. Building code is great for your health, safety, and welfare. They make you put in GFCI outlets. They make you put, in many cases, in most states here in the U.S., you know, bath fans that go to the outside, ventilation, and, and that load is carried correctly. But I have seen plenty of homes that met building code that were horribly constructed as far as craftsmanship. I have been to homes that had massive bows in a wall. Everything is out of square. Nothing is right, but it perfectly met building code because it was a safe structure. It just looked absolutely horrible. And so that's where the issue comes in when you're building a home. If you are having a house built, and this is what I wanted to talk about a little bit today in this segment and the next, is that a building inspector should be involved in this process. Now, I'm not talking about the, the city, county, state, whoever is, is implementing your code, but you should have benchmarks at which your third-party inspector comes in and looks at things. Now, here is the issue. We do not have a general building inspector code across the country. 
So some states, you have to be very well educated. You have to have to have taken tests. Other states, it's kind of a free for all. Now, and in many states, the liability of that building inspector that you're paying to have a house inspection done, their liability in many states is only the cost of what you paid them. So if you paid them $500 to come out and do a full inspection, well, their liability is $500. Unfortunately for you, you don't have much recourse. And so that's something to consider with all this. But there are a lot of great building inspectors out there that care about their work, that know what they're doing, and are trying to hold people accountable for building things correctly. Now, that is the issue here, is that you want to make sure that, that everything was installed correctly. Because you could have a, a shower built to building code and still have a leak. You could have ventilation systems that don't work that meet code or undersized, oversized HVAC systems. You see where I'm going here. Now, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the places and I think the times you should have those inspections. We'll do that just as soon as Around the House returns. show this is where we help get the most out of your home through information and education well early in this hour we were sure talking about uh, you know healthy air in your home and now we're talking about having those inspections done correctly and that is an inspector that is really making sure that uh, well the, the home that you're purchasing building or whatever has been done correctly now if you're having a house built or even having you know things remodeled I like to have certain stages that makes sense to me. Like as a minimum, I would like to see an inspector come by and check out rough framing for you. And if you really want to be found somebody good, if they want to pop in right before the concrete pour for the foundation or slab on grade, that would be amazing. Because so many times I have seen concrete pours that the builder got really, really lazy on. And there's a lot of great builders, but there's a lot of not so great builders as well. And maybe the builder is great, but his subcontractor wasn't paying attention. I have showed up at a job site that I was watching because I had a friend's house getting built. Popped up in this development, a very large home builder, and they're pouring the driveway and the garage. And I'm watching this happen. And it's in the middle of summertime and the ground is so dry that when the concrete is hitting, no, they didn't put gravel down. They didn't do any base. They didn't do anything. They're just pouring it right over the terrain. It was so dry that it was putting dust clouds up when the concrete was hitting. And you know something? If there's not an inspector there, nobody knows any different. But that dry ground is going to suck all the moisture out, and that concrete is not going to cure correctly. And because they didn't do the right base, you know it's not compacted correctly. That's going to flake, crack, crumble, 
and you've got a hot mess going. So these are the things that I would really like to see done. I want to see these things taken a look at by somebody that is a third-party inspector. And there's a lot of good ones out there. So framing, they're going to go through and make sure that, that corners weren't cut. Sometimes something will meet building code, but there's a massive gap there, or it meets code, or the walls aren't straight. I'd like to see somebody walk around and put a level on things. Great example, I saw a house that had met building code that was here in Oregon. It was in Eastern Oregon that I went down to take a look at. And this house was being built. Now, um, it was one of the um, foam concrete poured houses. So they put the Lego blocks together, one of the ICF houses, and they were building this. Now, here's what's crazy with this. They poured it on a windy day. That foam block wall that was hollow that had concrete going in it had a curvature of a sail on the back of the house. It was at four inches in the middle. Problem is, nobody caught it. House got built. Somebody walks out there and goes, what is going on with this wall? It perfectly met building code. There was nothing structurally wrong with that wall at all. Engineer probably could have looked at it and went, yeah, we're good. But the issues that we had there was that now the entire inside of the house really needed to be framed out because nothing was going to be square. And then when you looked at the outside of the house, it looked horrible. You could see that there's a big radius back to the wall. And so that was causing a ton of problems. So these are things that I want to see you get caught up with. And then as you go down the list here, what I'd like to see is you get that framing one done. And then that way they're checking right before drywall. You know, I'd like to see that. I wouldn't mind seeing one on insulation because I want to make sure things are sealed up correctly. But really, the next thing is, is going to be towards final. You know, when things are getting wrapped up, right when they're coming in, putting the trim on things, that's where I want to see somebody eyeball that. And I know this costs money, guys, but this is really, if you're having a house built, this is really where I want to see these benchmarks placed. And then when the project is done is the time that you do this. So, okay, before you go do a walkthrough, send them through and make sure that everything is done. And they're going to be there for a number of hours. They're going to check to make sure every light switch works, every outlet is on, that the garage door openers work, everything is done. And they're going to go through and take a look at the walls and they're going to go around and hit the blue tape. Anytime there's damage, they're going to go knock that out. And what's cool with this is that they're doing this before you even get a chance to walk through it. That way they can eyeball it. Then the builder has a chance to go look at it. They can reinspect it. And then you come out and take a look at it. That way, there's some accountability there. Now, just as an important step of this is really, as you get this done, what I want to do is make sure that, that they do an inspection again at, um, at the, right before the end of the warranty period. So let's say that your state that you're in, the builder offers a one-year warranty and that's what code is. Great. That's what's cool about that. So all you do is you go in there and in 11 months to 12, you go ahead and go and uh, have that inspection done. So if there's anything on the warranty period, you can get that caught. You would not believe the things that I have seen caught at this final walkthrough. I have seen um, where at framing, it was great, but when they loaded too many shingles on the roof, they broke a truss where there was a weak point in a truss and they broke a truss. I have seen where the HVAC system is jam-packed full of construction debris. 
I have seen crawl spaces with trash and all this other stuff. These are all those things that I want them to take care of that you don't have to worry about it. And, you know, that's the thing there. So make sure that and and make sure that your inspector doesn't have a relationship with the builder. I don't want to see any conflicts of interest here. I don't want your builder to go, oh, the guy that usually inspects our houses is this. Well, if they're working together, that's the last thing you want. You want somebody that's going after your best interests. So look for somebody that has building knowledge, like maybe they were a builder themselves and decided to get into this. Check their certifications. Check what their insurance is. Check their online reviews. And I tell you what, online reviews can be tough. But, you know, take a look at them anyway, but keep it with a grain of salt. Traditionally, with online reviews, the people that had a wonderful experience and this guy, if they saved them thousands of dollars, most likely they're not jumping on Google or whatever to do, you know, to to give them praises. But it's the people that they missed will come on there and make the loudest noise. So you want to make sure if they've got a couple bad reviews, I mean, that happens. Inspectors are not going to be perfect and nor should you expect them to be perfect, but they should be able to catch obvious stuff out there. So the more you can find out about them and their qualifications are great. And it depends on what state you're in. There are a lot of great states with great programs that are there to protect the homeowner. For instance, in my state, uh, Oregon, the Oregon Construction Contractor Board regulates home inspections in the state. So you have to complete the state's qualifying points and documentations form, complete an application, pay 150 bucks for certification and renewals every two years, and then you have to pass the NHIE exam, and that's what you have to do. Pennsylvania does not license its home inspectors, you know, um, and that's where you start to look at stuff. So here's where, like South Carolina, they have uh, the South Carolina Residential Builders Commission does. And so these are things here, the South Dakota Real Estate Commission oversees. So you have these different inspectors out there. And so um, there's a lot of states out there. Utah does not regulate it. Another great example there. So really take your time, understand what's going on in your state, what's happening. And so, you know, different states have different rules. And this is really interesting. So, you know, I want to, here's what I like. Alabama, for instance, good job, guys. And no program is perfect, but you have to file your license examination. You go in and do that. You have to do your um, examination board, go through all this stuff. I love this. Provide proof of insurance and includes a $250,000 for errors and emissions and proof of liability insurance in the amount of $20,000 for injury and damages to property. So keeps going on. But um, I love that these guys, Alabama hats off. Well done. So there's a lot of states out there that we need to be doing more to make sure that we're protecting the homeowners out there. And, you know, there's a lot of states that do. There's a lot of states that don't. So uh, take your time. Understand what's going on in your area because this is a really important part. Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, all do not have that. So I would make sure, you know, that, that you find people that are good. Take your time. Protect yourself. Find the right inspector and save yourself some money in the long run. All right, guys, that's it. Thanks for tuning in to Around the House today. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Around the House. 
Hey, it's Eric G from around the house. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.